it is good to be back with you. I hope you all had a great week. And I did miss being here last week. I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's hard to be away. Um, I am thankful for Gerald Farley coming and speaking to you guys last week about the generosity of God and giving back uh, to him and all that he has given to us. And while I was in Phoenix last week, I'll tell you what, I, I kind of wish it was this week because this week it's supposed to be 80 degrees there. Last week it was 40. And I was doing an outside wedding, so it was one of the fastest uh, and coldest weddings I've ever done. I said, all right, let's go inside, reception time, because, you know, that's pretty much what anybody cared about anyway. So, um, you know, it was, it was good to, uh, to get away, and it's also good to be back. And, you know, the whole idea of going all in uh, that Gerald talked about last week and I talked about the week before, um, it's all about our going all in with our walk with God. And in week one, if you weren't here with us a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about what a great idea it is for us to go all in. And just the desire of our hearts to go all in, and, and we really want to do that. Because going all in has this idea of excitement and adventure and, and risk and, and danger. And, and it's like everybody wants to do that, whether it's in their own lives or whether it's in their, their spiritual lives or their physical lives or, or how they do things. You know, anybody in here ever gone skydiving before? Yeah, just two. Okay. So, yes, not everybody wants to go all in. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just the thought of jumping out of an airplane and hoping that the uh, tablecloth that's on your back puffs open and catches air, that is great for going all in. And, you know, that's what we want to do. But just because we have the desire to do it, we actually have to have the discipline that accompanies that desire for it to be successful. The week after um, I talked, uh, or the Monday after I talked last, two weeks ago, I went to the gym, and uh, the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning was full. Uh, it was January 7th, full gym. Drove by later in the afternoon, parking lot was still packed. I just want to let you know I went this week, not full, okay? Um, those people had a desire to get in there and do something, and for a day or two they had the dis- discipline to, to pull it off, and now things are slowly Pulling back. As a matter of fact, I got an email this morning from um, uversion.com. I'm not sure if you uh, use that. That's a great Bible app on your phone if you don't have that already. Um, but if you have a smartphone and you want to have the Bible on it, it gives you reading plans. The email this morning from them was challenging you to do tomorrow through, uh, for the next 21 days to do a reading plan. Now, we've been doing the book of Acts. Uh, if you've been able to do that with us, we have the packets back there on the table. Get in the email. Have it on the paragonchurch.info. Um, All those different things. Love for you to be a part of that. But one of the things they sent out the email for was they want to challenge you to keep reading. So they're giving away iPad minis as a potential prize if you complete this 21-day plan. Because they know if you can start and keep going now, the chances of you quitting diminish a lot. So they want you to get into that. And so I guess they're going to use an iPad mini as one of those things for you to do. And and keep reading through. And they keep track of it because you have this little thing that says, yeah, I read it that day. And it goes through it. But the desire without discipline can leave it with empty promises. Let me tell you what my desire is for 2013. And the reason why we're doing this all in, the reason why this is going to be kind of our theme for the entire year. The desire for me and the desire that I have for you is that, that 2013 is the greatest year of spiritual growth that you've ever had in your entire lives. That is what I want to see happen in my life and that is what I want to see happen in your life. Because, you know, we want to do these things, and and I think you would say that. 
I think at New Year's, I mean, it's been, what, what's today, the uh, 20th? So it's been, been uh, three weeks since New Year's, and you made your, your resolutions. Some of you had a desire, but the discipline didn't follow you, follow you through. And some of you, that discipline is really difficult right now, but you're still pushing through. I, I pray that 2013, and that we can be a part of it, but not only on Sundays, but every day can this be a great thing. And we need to have discipline to make it happen. How do we do that, though? How do we do that? How do we take the desire to want to see good things happen and then actually have the discipline to see it through? How do we do that and become the greatest year of spiritual growth that we've ever had? How do we pull that off? Well, I think it's found in our passage that we read during the the baby dedication in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as well as the one that we've been looking through. Um, There's actually, it's recorded three different Gospels. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. If you have a bullet and have a note page inside of it, you'll see inside that note page that's there. And there's some notes for you to take this morning. Another way you can take notes this morning. I know this is kind of crazy, kind of off the wall, but that uversion.com actually has a thing where if a church sets up a note section, you can take notes on uversion.com if you go to their live button. So if you have uversion, you can find Paragon Church and you can find the note page on that this morning because I set it up this week. That might be a little too technologically advanced for us. We'll see how it goes. Okay, you have to let me know how it all works out. But, so go to that if you have a chance to. And, those, and all the passages we talk about today will also be on there. So if you have an online Bible and you're like, no, no, seriously, I'm on my phone reading the Bible. I understand, okay, even if you're playing Angry Birds. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And let me give you a little background to that. What happened was that the Pharisees, who we talked about in week one, were trying to trick Jesus. So they found an expert in the law, and the expert in the law, they said, you need to ask him a question. And the expert in law came up with a question to trick him, trick Jesus, and he says this. He says, of the 618 laws that are on the books, what law is the most important law for us to follow? Which one is it? Thinking they're going to stump Jesus, Jesus comes right out with Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all, let's do this. We got all up there, capitalized, underlined. Say it with me, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with your mind and with your strength. The very first week we talked about all your heart. Now, if you're one of those type A type people that that like everything in order, I'm going to mess with your mind today, okay? Because we did all your heart first, but we're not going to do all your soul or all your mind second or third actually we're going to skip to the end and go all your strength i'm sorry to do that to you but stick around we'll get to all of them okay and if you want to on february 3rd after we're done you can listen to them all in order the way you want to listen to them that's fine with me okay um you can find them online but the first week we went to all your heart all your heart because the heart is the core of your passion it is your soul it is everything kind of built up in there it's everything that you want You know, we love with all of our hearts. Uh, All of our hearts are in it. You know, we use terms like that. That is what the heart is all about. But sometimes, all of our heart isn't in it. All of our heart isn't in it. So my question for you from that week, and I'll even ask it again to you today, where is your heart? Where is your heart in all of this? Are you fully in a relationship with God? Are you giving Him all of your heart? Because we sang a song at the end, and we talked about it, the I surrender all, that old hymn that, that so many churches have used for so long, I surrender all. And then we realize what the word 
all actually is. That's a heavy-duty word. That word's got some magnitude to it. I mean, it is on top of you, all. Not part, not some, not most, all. I surrender all. Have we surrendered all? The question is, does God have all your heart? And we talked about a verse even then um, found when Jesus is talking about no one can serve two masters. Either he loves one or he hates the other, or he loves one and despises the other. Can't really have two, can't really separate it. So it's either all or nothing is kind of what that verse says to me. Do we love God with our all? Today, no matter what your answer is to that question, I think we need to take a moment and kind of just pray quietly at our seats that God would speak to us about giving all or whatever he would have. Because today we're talking about all our strength and giving all of our strength and everything that we have in our strength to him. And you know, today's going to be kind of a practical, challenging message and maybe one of those ones that you don't like me afterwards, and I understand that. Because maybe I might step on your toes just a little bit. This message stepped on my toes this week, so there's a good chance it's going to step on yours as well. Just giving you that pre, uh, pre-warning here. But what I think we need to do is we need to pray to God and say, God, can you open my heart and open my mind to what you have to say to me and, and take down any barriers that might hold me from actually responding to what you want me to do? So I'm going to ask you right now, just quietly at your seats, take about five, ten seconds. Just ask God to open your heart, to open your mind. And God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Looking at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And what I want to do right now is I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to stare at them just for a couple seconds. Go ahead, stare at that person next to you. I know, it's awkward. Now, the person that you don't like quite as much, turn and look at them, because obviously you didn't look at them first for a reason. So go ahead and look at them. I know, that just made it even more awkward. There you go. I want you to think of what, or see something here. I want you, now that you've looked, that person that you've looked around and seen, there's something that may not have registered with you, but is very true and you already know it. That person, or those people that you looked at, are very different from you. They are very different from you. You know how I know that? Because each and every one of us is different. Each and every one of us, there's not a person in here that is like you. You are like nobody else. God has created you very unique. You want to do this? If we're uh, having a youth ministry service right now, I'd have everybody stand up and move from side to side of the room. But I'm not going to do that to you. So I just want you to show your hands. Even though we did the raising hands thing, watch that video in church kind of thing, you know, don't feel bad. It's okay. Don't have to wash the windows when you do it. You tell me, raising your hands. Beach or mountains? Beach, raise your hands. Mountains, raise your hands. People who'd rather stay at home, raise your hands, apparently. All right, there's some of them. Okay. How about this? Steak or chicken? Steak, raise your hands. That's right. Chicken. All right. Hotel or pop-up trailer? Hotel, raise your hands. That's right. Pop-up trailer. There's the hunters right there, the people who like pretending being homeless. Um, Ford, Chevy, or imports? Ford, raise your hands. Chevy, raise your hands. Imports, raise your hands. Oh, there you go. All right. See? All of us are different. 
Everybody in here is different. It's not just physically and mentally. It's spiritually as well. You see, nobody in this room right here, right now, is in the same place along their spiritual journeys they're getting closer to God. Nobody's in the same spot. We're all making our way closer to God. There's some in here, man, maybe you just met Jesus recently, and you're just getting started. Some of you, you don't even know who Jesus is. Somebody drug you in here today, and you know what? We are really glad that you're here today with us. And then there's the people in here that have been Christians for a long time, or what we might call mature Christians. Mature Christians. And we have each one of these people in here, but there's one thing that we all have in common. The one thing is, is that we all are maturing. We are all, or at least should be, meaning none of us have arrived yet. None of us have arrived yet. We are all growing closer to Christ. And we all have a next step to take. Just like physical steps that we have to do. Just like when you are learning to walk as a little baby and you're taking those steps, those steps become more and more work. And the further you go, the harder it is sometimes. But each of us have a step to take. And just like physical steps, it takes effort. It takes strength to get there, to take that next step. But it's something we all have to do. Let me tell you something. I am excited that we have guests here this morning. We have people that are checking us out. I'm even more excited that lately I've had people come up and they've asked me, and they said, Matt, how do we transfer our membership to Paragon? How do we become members of Paragon? And let me explain something to you really fast, because you'll see inside your bulletin there, there's a thing called ownership class. Um, February 10th will be our first class that we're going to have. And what that is, what ownership class is, is about taking ownership of Paragon. See, because there's this, there's this cultural shift that has taken place. A lot of words you may have used as a kid aren't quite as politically correct as they are now. And there's other things that, that don't mean the same thing. And one of those words, I think, is member. Because member infers that I pay my dues and I get rights in return. I get things given back to me. Ownership refers to responsibility. And what I want to see happen in our church is I don't want people that have this membership mentality that they have rights when they come in. It's that we are owners and we're all taking ownership and taking the next step and making Paragon as great as we possibly can be. For instance, if you owned a gym, it's going to be a whole lot different when the treadmill breaks than if you were just a member of that gym when the treadmill breaks. Because when the treadmill breaks and you're a member, you go tell somebody and you leave. When you are an owner, when something breaks, you step up and you fix it. And that's the way that I want our church to act. And that's what I want it to be. And I'm going to challenge you today and I'm going to challenge you for the next couple of weeks to be a part of that ownership class as we step up to do that. But it takes steps. And, you know, it's exciting to see people coming and wanting to become members or wanting to become owners. And also, you know, it's great to have see our church grow because if you have been with us since the beginning when we had eight people in a little classroom, it's amazing to see what God has done. And, you know, someday our numbers could swell to 1,000, they could swell to 5,000, they could swell to 10,000. I don't think it's all going to fit in here, but we'll figure it all out. The thing is, is that if people aren't growing closer to God and we're just swelling in numbers and not growing spiritually, that means nothing to me. It means nothing to me that our numbers grow if people's lives aren't being changed. And that is what today is all about. Because spiritual growth is the most important part of what we do. And it takes effort. It takes strength to grow spiritually. Just like it takes effort and strength to grow physically. It doesn't happen on accident. As a matter of fact, a growing relationship with Christ is intentional, not accidental. 
a growing relationship with Christ is intentional, not accidental. And you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, well, unpack that for me. Explain that a little bit to me. Okay, it's like working out physically, okay? If there was a guy who came up to me and said, you know, I have this amazing body, and he's just ripped, and he's got the six packs, and his arms are bulging, and so on and so forth, and he said, you know how the secret is? I eat a half of a pack of double-stuffed Oreos every night, right before I go to bed, with a half gallon of milk. And this, I wake up in the morning, and this is what I look like. If he said that to me, I would be ecstatic, and I would buy stock in Oreo. Okay, that's what would happen. It would be amazing. But unfortunately, everybody laughed because you know that's not the truth. It takes effort to grow physically stronger, and it, it takes effort to grow spiritually stronger. It'll take heart. It'll take strength to make this intentional move to grow spiritually. And I want to clarify something here real quick. The thing I want to clarify is we're not saying that in order for God to love me more, in order for God to love me more, that I have to do, okay? Because God loved you before you were ever born. God loved you before you ever came to know him. That's the reason why he sent Jesus to begin with. But this, what we are doing to grow spiritually, to grow stronger in this way, is to grow closer to him in response to what he's done, not to gain his love so he grows closer to us. God wants us to take the next step. See, each of us have a next step, and many of you know or will be made aware of that next step you need to take this morning. Maybe you know it already. You know the next step you have to take. But this is the thing. We respond with a certain way. And you know what that response is? prayer. God, I hear you. I, just, I need to pray about it. Who are you praying to? God's telling you to do it, okay? That, that's the first thing I have. But you know, prayer is such a great thing. The fact that we can go into the presence of God and communicate with the creator of the universe, that is an amazing thing. But I think Christians sometimes use prayer as an excuse. We love to pray so we don't have to obey. We love to pray so we don't have to obey. God says blank, go do this, go reach, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. And our response is, God, I'm praying about it. And he says, no, you need to take the next step. Today I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to take the next step. You know what, it might not be easy. It might be a difficult next step. And there's some myths that we throw in thinking, well, there's no way God could possibly ask me to do that because this. There's some myths that are out there. And the myth number one that I want to talk about this morning about taking that next step is this. I'm good. I'm good, God. I, I'm good. I, I really don't have to go any further. I don't have to push anymore. You're taking care of me. I'm all good. Don't worry about it. And that is a thinking that we have inside because we think that as long as we've been in church for a long time in our lives or we've given or whatever it might be, we say, God, I'm good. I'm good where I am. And you know, this might not be a verbal, I'm good, because as a Christian, we know that that's not possible, but our nonverbal, our actions say, yeah, I am. I, I'm where I need to be. But like I said before, each of us is maturing along the way. And the sad reality is, is I know and have known way too many Christians that have known Jesus for a long time and have never changed. They have never changed. I do not believe that it is possible to meet Jesus face to face and not change. It is an impossibility to meet Jesus and not change. Look at Paul. 
those of you who've been reading through the book of Acts, there's some really cool stuff in there. And a lot of times we read, we miss some things. But when you look at Paul, Paul was Saul. Saul was killing Christians. He was out there trying to lead the charge to wipe out Christianity. Jesus meets him face to face, literally knocks him to the ground, blinds him and says, why are you persecuting me? What is it that I've done? And he says, it's time for you to change. And his entire life changed. And he changes so much so that he starts leading Christians. He starts teaching Christians. As a matter of fact, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. His life changed. As a matter of fact, one of the things we see in that radical change that took place in his life is that all that stuff, you would almost assume, almost assume that he could say, I'm good. I've made it. I've reached the pinnacle of Christianity. But in one of those letters he's writing to the church at Philippi, he tells us exactly if he's made it or not. Do me a favor if you have your Bibles with you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to read through verse 14. If you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screen, or you can pull out your phone and do it that way as well on version. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. I, this is Paul writing, the guy who we think could say, I have made it. I want to know Christ. Not that I already know Christ. I want to know Christ. This is the guy who met Jesus face to face, healed in Jesus' name, raised people from the dead in Jesus' name. And he says, I want to know Christ. I haven't made it yet. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings because uh, becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this. Wait, wait, are you saying he's not there yet? Exactly. Even though he's done all these cool things. I mean, do you guys understand what Paul has done? There was a dude, while Paul was preaching, like for three hours, the dude fell asleep and fell out of the window and onto his head and died outside the window. And Paul went out, touched him. He came back to life and said, come on, i got to get back to preaching. Let's go. And he went back in and preached some more. I mean, I've been able to pray for people when they're sick, and I've seen them get better. But I have yet to go into a funeral and touch a guy in the head and say, come on. You know, enough. i got to keep preaching. You know, that, that's never been the case. This is some pretty amazing stuff. He says, not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Press on would infer effort. Press on would infer strength. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind you know, I think one reason why we have such a hard time taking the next step is we're always dwelling on the past. Both good things and bad things. He forgot it all. Forgetting what is behind and straining, once again, that word of strength, pushing, pressing on, pushing it out, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Jesus Christ has called me heavenward. This is what i got to say to you. If you are not dead, you are not done. If you are not dead, you're not done. We need to be continuing to mature in steps in Christ. And some of them, it's baby steps. One person's going to be taking a different step than you are. Because like we said, we are all different. And as we take that one step at a time, there's another myth that has a tendency to come up. This tendency is this. Myth number two, God will not call me to do anything difficult. God will not call me to do anything difficult. I think we have a tendency to see God 
as a giant ice cream man in the sky. That if we give a little, he'll give us one of those amazing strawberry shortcake bluebell bars or ice cream sandwich or maybe that second scoop on top with some sprinkles. And if you're really good, if you're really good, you get to go to the Frozo place with all the toppings that are all over the place and it doesn't matter how much it weighs because you just get to have it. And even some people think, as long as I've given a little, or maybe because my grandma, she was really good at giving stuff, he's going to bless me as well. It's just going to all kind of pass down. You know, that's kind of thinking that we have about God, that he's just going to pour out these blessings to us just because we've given a little. But I want to challenge you something different. Because I think I see Jesus more, God more, as a surgeon. A surgeon is one who removes the bad, so that good can grow in its place. Somebody who takes out the things that need to be taken out in order for good to move forward. I bet anybody in here who's ever had surgery understands that. I've had surgery a handful of times for that exact reason. That if I didn't have that surgery, the bad would have taken over my body and killed it. And I think that's exactly what God does. He goes in and he replaces that, that bad and cuts out that bad in order for us to continue to grow. But you know what I've always done when I've woken up from anesthesia? I've always been in pain. I've always had swelling. I've been hurting. I've thrown up blood, made Christy pass out. I've had all sorts of things. And you know what? If you've ever had surgery, you understand that too. It's going to come with pain. There's going to be difficulties that is attached to it. It's not going to be immediate that everything is going to be better. It's not fun, it's not pleasant, and sometimes it hurts a lot. But God is a perfect surgeon who knows exactly what to take out, if we allow him to. And he returns the blessings when we trust him. You want to see something that's very true in all this? The book of Genesis records about a guy by the name of Abram. Some of you probably have read Genesis, maybe you've heard of Abram, or his eventual name, Abraham. Um, and Abram, we are introduced to in in chapter 12 of Genesis. And what happens is, is God comes to him and says, you know, I like everything you're doing. I know you're 75 years old, but I want you to move from this place that you've known your entire life to here. Just trust me on it and take your whole family with you. And Abram says, I'll do it. And because he does it, God pours out blessings on him. Now that doesn't sound like a huge deal to some of you, but, but that's where the blessings start at. And in verse th or chapter 13, you read about the blessings that take place. And in chapter 14, you read about the blessings that take place. And then in chapter 15, you read about the covenant that he makes with God, a another covenant, and, and blessings continue in 16. But then he says, all right, now we're going to make it real. This is where it might get a little difficult for you, Abram. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, and you're going to become the father of many nations. And that's where we get the song, Father Abraham. You know, and some of you guys are going to be singing that all the rest of the day now because it's stuck in your head as I'm doing the left arm. Uh, that's right. Go ahead. If you weren't growing up in Sunday school, God bless you. Um, there's this idea of these blessings that come. I mean, we all like blessings. And we like getting them when we don't have to try too hard to do it. Like if I said, go back there and sign up at that table back there and God's free blessings as soon as you sign up. I don't think there's going to be anybody who stops. So I think everybody would be okay with getting God's blessings. But, there's a little stipulation here in this blessing that comes in chapter 17. And what I want you to do is I want you to see, I want you to see in chapter 17, picking up in verse 8, when God says, I'm going to give you an amazing blessing. As a matter of fact, it's not only going to be for you, it's going to be for all of your descendants. 
But there's a little stipulation that's attached to it. It says this, starting in verse 8 of chapter 17 of Genesis. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give it to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, that sounds like a pretty good deal. That sounds like a pretty good deal. But then God says to Abraham, this is where Abraham pulls out his tablet, starts chiseling away. He says, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep is every male among you shall be circumcised. Yeah, I'm not sure about you, but I'm sure that as he's chiseling away, saying, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to Wait, did you say exercise? Oh, hang on. Those same free blessings that are over there at that table, if I said, guys, if you want that blessing, just step over here behind the curtain because we're going to do a little uh, surgery option, and then you can go over there and get your blessing. How many guys are going to the curtain? Not many. Not many. I can only imagine the difficult step that was getting ready to be taken here, okay? This older gentleman and all of his guys that are all hanging around, all get the word that if you want to be blessed, you have to go through some surgery. Now, nowadays, I have had two sons, and I've got to see this surgery take place. It's interesting. Still hurts me to see it. And as I'm seeing it, I'm thinking, wait a second. They didn't have all the cool scalpels and tools stuff. They probably used two rocks, just, you know, just get it all sharp and cut up and, whew. I just don't see that being something that Abraham's like, wow. And for you younger kids that are in here, like, what does that mean, Dad? We'll talk about that later. Um, I would really qualify this to be a difficult next step. In verse 11, it says, you are to undergo circumcision, and it'll be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And part of me wonders if Abraham's like, what if we just get like a tattoo or, or something? Or maybe cut the skin of my forearm instead. Um, you know, maybe that's what we do. You know, something along those lines. Maybe. And it says, verse 12, for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in the household or bought with money from a foreigner. How would you like to be a slave that way? Hey, welcome. Come on over. Um, you know, those who are, who are not your offspring, whether born into your household or bought from money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male, anybody who doesn't follow through with this difficult step, who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. I'm just asking you to become owners of the church. I'm not asking for much more than that. Just going to let you know that, okay? So don't, don't be like, oh, wow, I can't believe you asked for that. This is a difficult step. This is going all in. This is that push that it takes. And this was what made Abraham a hero. This is what made him a hero of the faith that we read about in Hebrews. This is what took him that. Do you realize that every hero of the Bible had to take a difficult next step? I can't think of any of them that didn't have to take a difficult next step. As a matter of fact, one of my heroes... 
One of my heroes right here, right now, on this planet is a girl by the name of Katie Wagner. Some of you have been praying for her for a long time. Last October, like a year, 14, 15 months ago, last October she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and it riddled throughout her entire body. She was um, uh, the niece of some good friends of ours. I knew her already. We had done Easter and things like that with her family a handful of times. Um, she was a 15-year-old girl, is now uh, 16. But at that time, her body was riddled with cancer. And they said, your chances of survival are li- little to none. Friday, like two days ago Friday, she finished her last chemo treatment. And I was praising God with it. And I know, absolutely. Absolutely. I see people who have such little things that bother them in their lives and they want to give up their entire life over it. And she fought stage four cancer. And I'm like, that is a hero. There's a difficult next step for each and every one of us. And the people that maybe you look up to are the people that didn't have it handed to them. They're the people that had to work for what they're doing. There was a difficult next step. And if you want the ultimate biblical hero, what about Jesus? Jesus had this great three-year ministry going on. People are coming to know, keep coming to follow. He's doing some cool miracles with food and drinks and all kinds of amazing stuff. He's bringing people back from the dead. He's exercising demons. Pretty amazing stuff going on here. And then God says, all right, it's time for my plan to really get into action here. And Jesus, before the night that he is arrested, stops And he prays to God. He says, God, if you could take this cup from me, if you could make any other way for this to happen, I would not be opposed to it. We forget sometimes that God, or Jesus not only being 100% God, he's also 100% man. And being 100% man, he had the ability to say no. He had the ability to turn his back on God. He had the ability to do all the things that we have, all the same temptations. Yet he said, I'm going to go through with this. I'm going to take this difficult next step. And that difficult next step wasn't even for him. It was for you and it was for me. And that is what he did. So this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets practical. This is where I say I'm sorry that I didn't give you a watered-down, feel-good message about going through a neighborhood and proclaiming that house to be yours and pray to God and He's going to give it to you. That's not what this is about. This is about taking the next step. This is about getting real with yourself. Because each of us in here have a next step to take, but we're being hesitant on doing it. So the first thing I want to do is I want to challenge you this. Maybe your next step is, is getting involved here. You just need to get involved here at the church. You need to take that ownership. You need to get over and use those gifts that God has given. You're holding back on on doing things because it might interfere a little bit with your schedule. You're saying, oh, you know, I don't really want to go over and and teach and be a part of the kids, even though I'm great with kids and I'm great doing all those things. Right now, I'm just going to tell you honestly, we have a three-teacher rotation for the second hour of kids. A three-teacher rotation. That, that shouldn't be, guys. We have plenty of people in here that are qualified. And I would ask you to find, well, Laura's not here this morning, so today we only have a two-teacher rotation. But I'd ask you, come and talk to me. I'll get your information. I'll pass it on to Laura. If you're good at that kind of stuff, first hour, we're hurting for teachers as well. That shouldn't be. You guys are so capable of doing those things and working with those kids. Same thing with setting up. Same thing with tearing down. We have a great group of guys that are in here, a great group of ladies that are in here doing those things. But at the same time, it's the same people every week. And I don't want people to get burned out, just like you don't want to get burned out. So if we could have people getting involved and taking ownership and saying, yeah, I want to make sure this gets off the ground, I challenge you to do that. For others of you, your next step might be quitting doing something. And this is probably harder than the first one. Maybe 
You're somebody who likes to get drunk. Maybe you're somebody who likes to drink a lot, and you're like, oh, here's one of those Baptist preachers talking about drinking. You know what? If you look in the Bible, getting drunk is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. You need to stop doing that. It says in the Bible that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And getting drunk is not part of honoring that, that body, honoring that temple. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, you preached to him, Matt. That's right. Well, let me tell you something else, okay? Food is the same thing. Food is just as much of a problem because our body is supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, yet so many of us will either overeat or undereat. God wants us to be healthy. And you're hurting your body for the reason of image or you're hurting your body because, you know what? I'll just be honest with you. I'm standing here right in front of you, and, and some of you know me already. A year and a half ago, I was 275 pounds, and, and thankfully, you know, I lost weight in a way that you don't ever want to lose weight, but because I did, I was able to, to get to where I was at, or where I'm at now, and feeling better and feeling stronger, but I like to eat, okay? My sister used to tell me I was coping with, with depression by eating. No, I like food. That's just the way it is, and having self-control and how much you're putting in is a big deal. And I had a really hard time with that. It's a struggle I still have today. I got a little calorie counter on my, on my phone. And I don't like it. Because it tells me when I have to stop eating. It tells me what I shouldn't be eating. Or when I'm eating like a burger from Carl's Jr., I'm like 830 calories. <laughs> this is it for the day. But I'm going to make it good. I'm going to make it last. You know, whatever it might be. You know, those kind of things. We have to be very careful what we're doing. You have a next step in what you have to do. And like I said, it's not something that is easy. And it could be in, in the fact of smoking. It could be some sort of addiction or drugs that you have. There's something that you need to take that next step in. Some of you have an addiction to something that's online that is killing you. And you, you get knocked that off. For others, you're flirting with disaster outside your marriage. Whether you're a single person and your marriage that will be eventually you're flirting with disaster of or Maybe you're within your marriage and you're flirting with disaster outside of it. You need to stop. You need to take that next step. And some of you might be mad that I'm bringing this up, but I'm telling you something. Everybody in here is messed up. You're not alone. If I stand next to Jesus, nobody's ever going to confuse me being his twin. And I have a feeling it's probably the same for you. We're all messed up. Everybody's normal until you get to know him. You know that. There's some other people in here that need to forgive. Forgiveness is the issue you have. You can't take that next step because you're holding on to the past, because you're looking back. You're not forgetting what is behind. You're saying, Matt, you don't have any idea what they've done to me. And I say, you're right, I don't. I don't have any idea what they've done to you. But I'll tell you something else. While people were spitting on Jesus, while they were beating him, and while they were killing him, while they were doing it, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If Jesus can do it, I think we can do it too. Some of you just need to take the first step and meet Jesus for the very first time. You've been holding back. You've heard a lot about it, but you're afraid he's going to interfere with your life. You're afraid that he's going to do something. Well, trust me. As a man who's been on this journey now for, gosh, 25 years, Jesus has not interfered with my life. He's only made it better. Now, it's not always easy, but he has made my life better. Today is the day, and we can't put it off any longer. We need to do it. I want you to take a lesson from Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh in the Old Testament, 
Moses goes to him and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And that's when God starts the plagues. And the first plague was the Nile turning into blood. And the magician said, oh, we can do that. We can make that kind of thing happen. No big deal, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And, and the next time it comes around, he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And he says, the next plague comes and it's millions of frogs. Millions of frogs. I'm not sure if you're a Duck Dynasty fan, um, but occasionally I'll, I've, I've been watching that. And there was one episode where they were out in a golf course fishing pond catching frogs and getting ready to fry them all up. And the frogs are just kind of disgusting creatures. But I can't imagine millions of them. And Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Moses, make it stop. Make it stop. And you know what Moses' response was to him? He said, you tell me when and where. And you know what Pharaoh's response back was? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Instead of making it happen now, tomorrow. And if you don't know anything about the Old Testament or don't know anything about the, the time with Moses, more plagues came and Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder and he was further away from God. Make it happen today. Take that next difficult step. It's going to take strength to go all in. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are and we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us, gives us the opportunity to love you, to have a relationship with you, and to walk with you and grow closer to you. God, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives to give us that extra strength. And today, Lord, today as we pray, even as we prayed 35, 40 minutes ago, for you to open up our hearts, I pray, God, that that wasn't just an empty prayer that we had just to fill the time. But God, instead, it was a prayer that we had to allow you to work in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, give us the strength to move forward in that next step. God, I don't know whose next step is what, but you do, and you're challenging them to take it. I pray that they do that this morning. I pray it all in your name. Amen.